All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Creator Support. You guys ask us questions, we answer. Colin? This is the show where we give... Yep. We're, right? we're, we're workshopping the tagline. We're workshopping the tagline. We had a great one last week. Yeah. This is the show where we give you insights that support your creativity. Wow. Love that. That's great. So if you guys do want to ask us questions to be featured on an episode of Creator Support, we have a form that's in our newsletter, The Publish Press. We also answer these questions on Sundays in our newsletter. But for now, we're going to get into this episode and answer your questions. First question for you, Colin. How you doing? Great. Phenomenal. Amazing. Great iced coffee. I'm ready to go. Here we go. Samir? No, I'm good. No. How are you? No, I said I'm good. You're good. I'm fine, man. You're saying, Stop okay. asking me. All right, okay, I'll Stop take a step back. Stop asking me. I okay. am completely fine. You know what? Let's just roll the intro. All right, before we get into it, Samir, did you see that Mr. Beast was on the cover of Rolling Stone? Tough to miss. Everyone, everyone posted it. Um, you know, it just an, making sure. I, I want to say, like, it was so cool to see. Very exciting. And Feels I, like there's a butt coming. There's no butt. There's actually just an and. Okay. I loved the photography. I thought they nailed the photography. Sometimes magazine shoots are really corny. Mm-hmm. But there was something about this that felt very exciting to see Jimmy photographed in this like editorial fashion. Yeah, this was their creator issue, which is not out on stands yet, but we were actually interviewed for it as well. I know. I can't wait to pick it up. Yeah. I can't wait to pick up a physical magazine and read, like, I, I wonder what other creators were in this. I want to, like, see a Rolling Stone magazine with creators. That's so cool. It really feels, like, symbolic of this moment in time where creators are the new rock stars. Are you just saying that so that we can feel like rock stars, or? I already feel like a rock star, okay. so I think you need to catch up. But I do think the cool thing is, at some point, they won't even need to do a creator issue. Right. Because all of the artists and musicians will most likely have a background in being a creator. You look at Ty Verdes, who grew on TikTok mm-hmm. during the mm-hmm. pandemic. Olivia Rodrigo, who even alters her lyrics with TikTok in mind so that'll be more shareable. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder when that term goes away. Does it go away at some point that everyone, this is just how everyone gets big? Is, is through social. So then the lines are so blurred that there's not like creators and non-creators. It's all just one. I think eventually we don't even need to have a creator issue. Wow. We just have an issue. We just have problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm excited to, I, I'm excited to check it out. I also really appreciated all the tweets that came through that were like, Hey, Rolling Stone, I'm good. I already watched Mr. Beast on the Colin Smear show. That was very kind. Yeah. Take that Rolling take Stone. Take that. Rolling Stone, but also thank you for including us. Thank you for including us. We're very honored. All right. In other news, Yes Theory's NFT drop is officially live, which also means their movie trailer is live and their project for this film, uh, Project Iceman, is live. And it's all very cool. The amazing thing here is that they turned down a $1.25 million streaming deal Mm -hmm. from a major streaming platform. Mm Mm-hmm because they felt like they were not going to be able to have the creative control that they wanted, that they felt was important. So now they're looking to their community to fund the project. Yeah. And the, the, the interesting thing is it's reminiscent of, you know, Kickstarter. It's, it's not so off in independent film to raise money, but the thing that's different about it is because it's done via NFT and, and crypto, there's this bind that people have that is very unique. One thing that's really cool is if you buy the ticket 
you cannot resell that ticket until after the movie premiere. But the exciting thing is that only NFT holders will be able to watch the movie digitally. And that's verifiable because of the blockchain. And so that's a really cool function for NFTs. I wonder also how they'll update that over time. Like as if you're an NFT holder, you know, is there, are there physical premieres in different cities? You know, knowing the guys, definitely there's going to be something exciting like that. But it, it was really cool to see that go live. The trailer is also amazing. Yeah. Like, if you're unfamiliar with the story, they cover an athlete named Anders Hoffman, who is and has actually already attempted to complete an Ironman race, but he did it in Antarctica, mm -hmm. which is insane. Yes. Yeah. I was involved in helping get some of the cinematographers to Antarctica okay. during this production. And I lost some sleep while, cause there was a time and I don't want to ruin too much of the movie, but there was a time where they left from South America and they got on a boat for six days and there was no communicating with them until they arrived in Antarctica. So we had no idea. And they go through what's called Drake's passage. This is one of the most dangerous parts of the ocean, like in the world. So there was six days where I was like incredibly stressed because I played a, a major role in getting one of the cinematographers out there. You know, who's probably more stressed? The cinematographer. Oh, the cinematographer. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I empathize. With, yeah, I understand. I'm the I'm the guy. You're the one seeking discomfort. I'm the one, man. I'm the one stressed <laughs> out in my bed it. in Venice. Yeah. Okay? Did you film a doc about no. your experience? I at, should have. At home I'm telling it right now. I'm telling the story right now. Heading to Antarctica. All right. First question comes from Noah. Noah Bellinger. I was wondering, as someone who struggled academically and has a deep passion to become a creator, would it be smart to consider dropping out? I'm halfway through my first year of community college with no intent of transferring, and I'm getting my general credits done for my liberal arts major. Sorry if this is too long, but I really need professional input on this matter. That's a tough one. It's really hard to tell someone to drop out of college. It's such a personal choice. You know, for me, college was an unbelievable time to figure out what I wanted to do. It's almost like what I chose to do when I wasn't in class illuminated probably what I would want to do for my career. I was writing a blog in college. I was telling stories. I picked up a video camera right after. So college for me was important in terms of like finding my passion. But for Noah, it seems like he already has an idea of what he wants to do. Yeah, I, I learned more while in college outside of the classroom than I did in the classroom. And I think that's an important thing to, to note is that being in that environment with a bunch of people your age who are all trying to figure it out, you know, like that to me was where I got most of the learnings. I, I also was not a good student, not a good student. I still, I'm not a, like, I'm not good at the classic academic stuff. Um, and that was always challenging for me as well, but I felt like I was learning so much about life and how to be an adult and how to, you know, engage with people socially, how to get things done, how to make things happen. That to me was where I got most of the learning. So, you know, I would say that if you want to become a creator, you know, that's great that, that you know that I would, I would think that there's ways to do that while in college. If it's really not working for you, it's not working. But I would remember this, that that is the last time in your life that you will be around that many people your age. 
it's, who are sharing a common experience. It's much harder to recreate that once you graduate. That does not happen again. You know, when you go and work at a job, like you do, ha- you are surrounded by people, but typically they're in different parts of their life. They're all having different experiences. That's the last time. And when I look back on that time, that's what was amazing, was being surrounded by a bunch of people my age who are all going through a similar experience. Also, for me, college gave me a period of time where I didn't have to worry about my finances that much. And that's different for everyone. Yeah. But I would recommend if you are going to drop out of college, make sure that you do have your finances figured out because to be a startup creator, like any startup, it's just going to take a lot of time and there's going to be a lot of unknowns. So if you can have the finances taken care of, you'll be in a much better position. All right. This one comes from Devin says, what is the subscriber count slash views per video where you can first confidently approach advertisers to sponsor a video? Approximately how much should you charge? I wouldn't focus on subscriber count. We've seen a lot of channels that have a ton of subscribers and they're struggling to find viewership. So subscribers, it's a little bit of a vanity metric. I think some advertisers do like to see it, but when it comes to the health of your channel and your ability to actually serve an advertiser, it's all about your average views per video, how many people are actually tuning into you every week. Yeah, and I would say that also depends on your category in terms of viewership. Like let's say you're making content about crypto and you have 10,000 people watching. Without question, you can have significant advertisers Mm -hmm. uh, because you've aggregated a very specific audience. If you're making very general content, like just generally entertaining content, harder at 10,000 views a video to sell an advertiser in. So I think you have to first define your category and say, you know, is it 10,000 or 1,000 hyper-defined individuals? If so, you might be able to sell advertising at a lower viewership level. Uh, If not, you'll have to get to a bigger general audience. So, you know, again, it's, I know that's probably too open-ended of an answer, but that, that would be my first piece of advice. What was our first viewership threshold where we started to integrate advertisers? 10,000. 10,000. Yeah. And it was maybe what? A thousand dollars between 800 and a thousand dollars. Yeah. A lot of times it was like a thousand dollars, but with like a 15% cut for whoever brokered it. So you're talking about 900 some odd dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's tough to do brand deals underneath that because the one thing I learned is that, you know, booking and executing a brand partnership is the exact, is almost the exact same amount of work, no matter what threshold it's at. So a $50,000 deal is the same amount of work to sign, negotiate the terms, book it, you know, do film the ad, send it to the advertiser, get approval. It's the same amount of work as a $500 deal. Mm-hmm. So you want to start, you want to get to a place where you're at least doing $1,000 deals because it's going to be a lot of work and then someone's going to take commission. Like it's, it's, it's hard to do. So I would, I would try and at least get to a point where you're pitching yourself for a thousand plus. Um, but yeah, 10,000 views a video was kind of when we started to, to monetize. Next question. Creators are becoming more like businesses and have competition. Do you think creators are in competition with each other? Wow. That's a good question from Valentin F. In my experience, it's very unique in our industry and in our community that I don't really feel in competition with other creators and I haven't felt that other creators feel in competition with each other. 
I think right now we're in a very unique space where there's a lot of abundance. There's an abundance of viewership. There's an abundance of advertising dollars. There's just a lot of abundance. It's not as scarce right now in this moment in the creator world. I agree. I don't think there's a competition for dollars. I do feel like there's a little bit, I don't even know if you can call this competition, but I've seen issues arise and I've seen creators talk about when their concepts are being copied. Mm, That's right. And maybe that has to do more so just with artistic integrity or ego or feeling like something's been stolen. But I have seen things like that arise. There's, yeah, that's true. I mean, you see it, especially with like thumbnail design. You see mm-hmm. it like there's a lot of competition there. Um, I do think within categories, there's competition. That's where it arises a lot, right? Like if you're in a, if you're a challenge creator, you know, and you do like spending 50 days buried alive, there's a lot of those videos. And so that's where you start to get into a space of competition. Yeah. But even for us, we've seen a lot of people imitate and sort of copy our newsletter format. Yeah. And this is the type of thing that's happened all throughout our career. And the way we like to think about it is you're sprinting as mm-hmm. a business owner, as a creator. And the second you start running or jogging, people are there to catch up with you. Yeah. So you tr- always have to sort of maintain a certain type of pace when it comes to innovating and changing what you're doing. I think you also have to recognize that no matter what, someone's going to catch up to you. So you kind of have to, it, while you're sprinting, you also have to think about like zigzagging, like going in different directions and being like, I'm going to innovate this way now. Mm-hmm. And kind of like, it's that constant pace of innovation. Um, that's what reduces competition. But again, like, you know, I went on a great trip to Colorado with 15 creators and like, we all watched each other's channel and tried to help each other get better. Like that doesn't really exist in other careers, right? Where you have a bunch of people in the same industry going on a trip and giving each other like constructive feedback on how they can do better, make more money, have more viewership. Like that's pretty unique to our industry right now. All of our businesses are so unique. It would be, it's hard to find those areas where you really match up and feel like you're competing. Yeah. All right. Hello. My name is William Lore. Hi, William Lore. My sister and I are starting a podcast. We wanted to know what you think the best setup to get started for amateurs aspiring to be professionals. We look forward to hearing from you, William and Megan. Rode has a really great setup Mm -hmm. that I actually got for my brother because he wants to start a podcast. I think it's the Rode NT1A, maybe? Whoa, someone's getting, Getting someone's a gearhead. Getting techie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. When we first started this podcast, we used two $45 mics, which were Sennheiser, like, E something or the other. Uh, and we put them into an H4N. Uh, and that's how we record it. And today there's like so many interesting ways to do it where you can get like road lav mics and put them into your phone. You know, there's a lot of reasonable ways to do this. I don't think you can go wrong when it comes to gear. Like I do think good audio is very important, but just get a microphone and try it out. Like the most important is that you don't invest too much before you know that it's like a real thing. You want to keep your investment level very low at first and invest in time, in content, in post-production. Like that's that's what's really important. There's so many good mics. You could even use like a USB mic, like the Blue yeah. Yeti X. Prior, prioritize the, I would say prioritize the story, not necessarily the gear. Yeah. 
We hear a lot about reinvesting in our businesses from people like Mr. Beast. But what does that actually look like for creators who don't give away a million dollars in their videos? Behind, beyond the obvious stuff like upgrading equipment, hiring a team, what's a meaningful way to reinvest and actually see a return? That's from Nolan. I, I actually think the obvious stuff that you just mentioned is the that's, stuff. That's the stuff. Like for us right now, when you look at, you know, we had a great year last year and what we're using our capital for is investing in a new studio space because that will, for in our perspective, make us more efficient. Uh, it'll make us, you know, help us help our team members be more productive. It'll, you know, give us a better kind of culture in the office, like all in all. And it's, it's a 10 times, 10 times more than what we're currently paying for rent. So that's a significant investment. That's us reinvesting in the business. Upgrading equipment is another great example. Make it easier. Basically, what you want to do is reduce the friction to making your product. Once you find product market fit, you want to reduce the friction to making product. You want to um, increase efficiency, increase quality, and increase productivity. That's those are all the things. So it's like you said it. There it is. Yeah, like Mr. Beast. Yes, he gives away a million dollars, but he also built a $10 million studio so that he could film yeah. multiple videos at once. He spends way more money on the studio, on yeah. the team, you know, which is crazy to think about, but he does. It's like the infrastructure that allows him to give away a million dollars. Yeah, the giving away the money is actually like a, a smaller part of how he's investing. It's the easiest thing that he does. Yeah. What's the best way to get in touch with larger creators in order to collab with them or even interview them? Email, Instagram, DM, tweet at them. Love the new creator support. All right, amazing. Thank you, Gabriel. All right. I would say prove that you can add value in your outreach. So as an example, very recently, mm -hmm. we had someone who bought the Samir and Colin domain, uh -huh. sent it to us, and it was this wonderfully designed dynamic website that was like this experience yeah. that we went through that showed that he could design interesting websites. Yeah, it was super interesting. I mean, that was one of the coolest things. And it's a conversation. We send it to our whole team. It's like, there's no way you're going to not react to that. It's so interesting, cool, well done. And you in your head are like, hmm, I kind of want to, I want to have something similar. Like, you just showed me you're good at making websites. So let's make a website together. Mm -hmm. Do you like websites? I do like websites. Yeah. Great. That was a joke from... Uh, yeah. Between two ferns, just, I just don't want anyone to think I'm like a, uh, a nuts person who just turned to you and said, do you like websites? Too late. All right. For people who have full-time jobs and creating is a hobby, what are some tips for accountability? I love creating for fun, but when I often, but I often work 60 plus hours a week and find that putting time towards my craft is difficult due to the need for rest. I'm usually go big or go home kind of style, but I need to figure out how to set realistic and achievable expectations for myself as a hobbyist creators. P.S. I love the show and learning more about the business and backstories of some of my favorite creators. This is from Molly. M Molly, I feel like you kind of answered your question yeah. in your question. You need to come up with realistic and achievable expectations for yourself. Yeah, just find a process that allows you to make something I, that you're proud of and that you like. And because you have a full-time job, maybe that is once a month. There are some creators yeah. who make one video a month, uh, but it's their best video and they found a way to build a business off of it. Yeah, if it's go big or go home, like let's take a look at Mark Rober, who you know has put out a video every like three months in the past you know six months or something. Um, and those are massive videos and they get 15 million views and they're, they're big ideas. Or maybe um, the platform has to change and you start doing 
TikToks, short form vertical video, yeah. where the barrier to entry is a little bit lower. But the YouTube ideas shorts, yeah. still put the emphasis on the ideas. It's just that the production changes. The videos are shorter. You could shoot them with your phone. I think there's a couple different ways you can go about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think you mentioned that it's a hobby, uh, which is supposed to be fun. So make sure that this is fun. And if it's not possible right now for you to do it, given your work schedule, maybe it's not time. You know, maybe it's not time to do this hobby. Yeah, I don't always look at my hobbies as something that I need to be held accountable yeah. for. Yeah, so I think like reframe that. It's like, is it, do you want to become a part-time creator? Are you doing it to make money? Is it a fun thing? Like what is the, why are you doing it? All right, hello. Hi. It's from Phil. Oh, it's from Phil. Uh, I want to create content in English, but I am not fluent in it. So I'm struggling to start. The main dish is that people close my, interesting. I think he means the main issue. The main dish is that people will close my vids because of my accent and the mistakes in speech. What is your advice to people struggling to create content in English? It's a very interesting question. Um, I also, I, I'm assuming this is a mistake, but I love it that you said the main dish is that people close my videos. I'm going to start using that. That term. is the main dish. Yeah. Listen, man, the main dish is that we just can't find viewership on this video. You know, first thing that came to mind is that you could subtitle yeah. the videos. Second thing is think about formats and stories that you can tell that are extremely visual that transcend language. You know, who's, you know, uh, uh, English second language creator who's getting a ton of views is um, Fidias. Mm. You know, if you want to look that up, F-I-D-I-A-S. Uh, his concepts are, you know, very viral and does a lot of challenges, but there's something kind of endearing about his accent. Like I, I enjoy watching his content with his accent. It feels very, you know, fresh and new and inter interesting, but I agree. I think subtitling is interesting. I also think you can start to think about like what type of content is enjoyable without audio. And then you start to have a much more global audience. You think about like Dude Perfect who does trick shots. You can watch trick shots without listening to them uh, or how ridiculous um, the, that's engaging or slow-mo guys. Slow-mo guys was interesting no matter what. Um, so think about like what type of content can you produce that doesn't require language at all. All right. Hi, Colin. Hi, Samir. And hi, team. Team just said hi. Hi. I used to be a creator on YouTube back in 2009 and 2013 during my high school years. Since then, I've become a programmer at a local company, but I still lear love learning about the creator economy, hence why I love listening to your show. I'm curious to know, what platforms do you use to connect with other creators and what led you to choose those platforms? Thanks so much, George. Text. I text a lot of creators, but I would say a lot of creators like using Discord and I just struggle with Discord. I would say Twitter DM. Ah, uh, Twitter DM. Especially yes. in the early rise of our channel, we found a lot of success with, you know, when we would talk about a creator, posting a portion of the video on Twitter and tagging them. I think creators have less inbound sometimes on Twitter, so it's easier to see, you know, if someone talked about you or if they sent you a message. Right. Again, like I, I try and move to text as soon as possible because that's where I like know I see messages and I'm like always on text, so... The yes theory guys always go straight to a video call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or voice notes. Or voice notes. Voice notes, though, are tough because uh, the thing yeah. about a voice note is you click on it, starts playing, and if it's like five minutes, let's say, which, you know, Thomas and Amar, big, like, multi-minute voice note guys, you get to minute two out of a five-minute thing. You want to take a break. You can't really take a break. 
And then you can't scrub back there. So you got to be like, when, when you wanted to listen to it again and finish it, you got to go from the beginning. I've found too that sometimes I get a voice note, but I'm in a room, people are talking. I can't just listen to the voice note. Send me a text. I got to leave the room to listen to your voice note? No, it's a good, it's, it's good. It's good. Not gripes, man. Good gripe. That's, got, a, good that's gripe. a good gripe. That's a good gripe. Welcome to Good Gripes with Colin and Smear. <sighs> All right. You got any gripes before we yeah, go? I have a lot of gripes, man. Talk to me. I don't want to get into that okay. right now. Right. Yeah, I got into a gripe last week and I felt like I went too long on it. <laughs> Tipping gripe. Yeah. All right. Here's a question from Alfie. Great name, Alfie. Here's the question. I fell in love with YouTube during the 2014-2016 vlogging era. Since then, I've realized vlogging is hard and doesn't pull a lot of the views that it used to. This scares me because even though I would do the videos, even if no one watches them, it's a really good choice if they won't allow me to grow. Is vlogging something to 2016 to do? Is vlogging to 2016? Here's my take. Vlogging is a storytelling tool. It's not an episode format. So vlogging is a style of delivering information that you can use throughout your story, but it's not going to cover all your bases. You have mm. to still tell a story. Wow. The whole office is snapping right now. That was good, Colin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> Jesse just called me a storytelling tool. <laughs> That's really good. Wow, that hurt. Um, I whole- Jesse, that really, that really hurt. I wholeheartedly agree with that, <laughs> but that, that statement that you just made makes the, the, the daily vlogging era so much more impressive when you think about the people who are doing it well. Yeah. Because they actually, what they were doing was coming up with a new concept every day and then using vlogging as a tool to do that concept. So whether it was a Q&A or mm-hmm. it was, you know, I think one of my favorite vlogs ever is Casey Neistat retrieving his lost drone from the roof. But that's a good story. It's a great story. That's what I mean. It's like, it's, it's, the thing is, it's like a rescue mission told through a vlog through a vlog yeah yeah so i think that's uh that's what's really important is that these are all still good concepts good ideas from experience there was a time where we tried to vlog for vlogging sake almost lost my mind you almost lost your mind yeah i was confused what to film i had no idea what to film you were way better at it than me i was (laughs) that's for sure but i didn't know what to film like i was like what what do i film what am i talking about because we didn't have concept first we just picked up a camera and started filming. So that I would say that no matter what doesn't work. But if you have good concepts, vlogging can be a great mechanism to deliver those Mm -hmm. concepts. All right. The final question. It's very long. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to summarize it. Why don't you say a a few things while I do that? Keep the audience entertained while I do this. So last week, Samir got married and it was a incredible sort of five day journey. And that's all I have to say. It was that's just it. wonderful. That's all you have. Everyone okay, who was there. What we about all highs and lows close. from the wedding? Highs and lows from the wedding? Yeah. I mean, they were... So, what was it? I think lows was every morning thinking, man, I'm totally out of energy. Yeah. I can't believe we have another event that I know is going to turn into a wedding. Even if it said rehearsal dinner, once you'd get there, two hours into it, there's 150 people there. There's music. Everyone's dancing. And I couldn't believe that it had turned into a wedding. It really was like five nights. Each night was a wedding. Yeah, each night was a wedding. It was crazy. Yeah, that was a great time. Um, I've read this all the way through. I'm trying to find the question, but I think I think I understand it. This is from Jury. Um, Jury says, basically, this is my summary of it. Jury has a lot of passions, and he's struggling to solve if he can cover all of them in a YouTube channel or if he needs to niche down and choose one of them. A lot of passions, including woodworking, 
video and digital content, software engineering, or no, software and engineering. Um, so a lot of, there a lot of different interests trying to figure out what to make a YouTube channel about. Can, can they make a channel about all of those things or just one? Niche down. Niche down. Niche down. Niche down for what? Niche down, A-town down. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, uh, the answer there is just like, think of a YouTube channel more like a TV show than a TV network. Uh, where, like, if I came back week after week to a TV show, let's say Friends, because I love Friends. You don't love Friends, which is I, crazy. Uh, I don't but, hate it. Okay, I just think- I, I've thought about that all night since you said that. But think it's Friends, okay. if, if, if all of a sudden an episode of friends was completely different. I'd be like, what? It was like a different cast about a different topic, different format. I'd be like, what's happening. So I do think you have to build into a format and into a space where week to week an audience knows what to expect. So if it's a woodworking channel and then all of a sudden the next week it's about software, that might be kind of jarring. Imagine if you love Chick-fil-A okay, and then you show up and you say, Hey, I'll take a chicken sandwich. And they go, Oh no, sorry. Hey, we serve salads now. They do serve salads, yeah. Which maybe is a gripe from Yeah, Colin. maybe that's maybe a gripe. That's, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the final gripe for this week. All right, well, that was creator support. Thank you for asking those questions. Those were great. Keep them coming. You guys can uh, submit them through our form if you subscribe to the Publish Press. That's our newsletter. We also answer one of these questions every Sunday. Uh, you can also ask us these questions on Twitter. You can ask us these questions in a review which is my way of asking you to review the podcast. If you like what you're listening to, then definitely drop us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and throw a question in there. And make it five stars. You make know? it five stars. Why not? Yeah, if you're, at, if you're here at the end of this episode, this is a five-star experience for you, right? You know, it's same amount of effort to put three stars as it is five, so why not just do five? I talked to one of my family members who just went to Dubai and stayed in the seven star hotel. Yeah. And I said, that's too many. Is it really seven stars? And they were like, no, it's not. It's a five star experience. Someone one day just said, wow, this is like a seven star hotel. There's no, there's no additional things that happen that make it a seven star experience. It's a five star experience. Yeah. But now that you bring it up, I would prefer seven stars. Right. Right. Instead of five. Right. You know, if, if let's say you're in the reviews, and there's an option for seven, go for seven. All right, we'll leave you with that. Go okay. for seven. Yeah. See you guys next week. Right.